A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And it's that time, time for the highly anticipated, much celebrated Duff McGigan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Uh, hope you, everybody's doing great. Uh, hope you're doing well. Thank you for my birthday video you sent me, buddy. And uh, oh, wait. Uh, yeah, I tell you what. There was a, a king. There once was a king. He was a, he was twelve inches tall. Uh, he wasn't a good king, but he made a great ruler. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> yes, that was a good one. We were due a good one. Uh, that one was knocked out of the park. But thanks to Duff for delivering the laughs and happy birthday to Duff. Uh, last Monday it was his sixtieth birthday. And uh, Duffy had actually had me do a video for him, which I did, which is great. Um, and if you see my guest today, be sure you call him Chef. Chef Andre Rush makes his talk as Jericho debut. He's the massively muscled White House chef who went uh, famous back in 2018 after a picture of his 24-inch biceps went viral on social media. You hear how he got those 24-inch pythons as well by doing 2,222 push-ups a day, every day. And that's not a random number. He'll share the story behind it and how it helps support United States military members. You hear the story about how that photo led to a friendship with Schwarzenegger. Chef Andre served as a cook as well in the military, actually helped improve MREs, the ready-to-eat meals that soldiers uh, eat in the field. I've eaten them, and you'll hear why uh, coming up. But uh, being a military chef is what ultimately led Chef Andre to cook for four presidents, Clinton, Bush, Barack, and Trump. He explains how he got the gig, what kind of food he was cooking for each, and he shares a couple of surprising things with the White House, like, did you know that the presidents have to pay for their own food? Never really thought about that before. We also get into how Chef Andre got into cooking in the first place, why he joined the military and what he's working on with Gordon Ramsay. All kinds of great stories, including what inspired the title of his book, Call Me Chef, Damn It, which is available now wherever you buy books. Here we go with the highly uh, sophisticated and super cool chef Andre Rush right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. We are here with, uh, with with Andre Rush, and there's so many great things to talk about. I'm just going to jump right in because I'll tell you what, you know, I've been 
training and, and bodybuilding for the better part of 40 years as well. You do 2,222 push-ups a day. That is a big, big amount of push-ups a day. For a while, I was doing 1,000 a day, oh, and so then I stopped. But that's, that's not easy, man. How do you do this every day? Uh, I do on my arms. I push. <laughs> you know how we do. <laughs> you know, I, uh, the 22 is for 22 vets that commit suicide a day. So I'm a big advocate for mental health, wellness, not only for the vets, but also for the spouses, kids, children, mental wellness, stability, so forth. So we have a challenge in the military called 22 a day, which is 22 push-ups. I did a 22 a day with, you know, with my guys. And I was like, okay, that took me a second to do. Then I started doing right afterwards, 222. And that was only a couple minutes. And I'm an endurance trainer by trade. Mm -hmm. So power lift, aesthetics, calisthenics, all those different things. And so I started doing the 2,222 right away. Not, not because of the, the, the number, which is a, a huge number. It was for awareness. But people, when they hear about it, they just say, oh, that's a big, and they're like, why two? Why the two? Mm -hmm. So that's in my conversation and be like, did you know that this happens and this is why and so forth and so on. So it's not a workout. It's my cause. Of course, I get the benefits from it. You know, it's 125 for 1776, 17.6 rather. So, so you do them in sets then? I don't do them. I don't do them throughout the day. I, I don't have that much time. Right. So I'll do them in sets uh, between the, my one and a half, two hours. Gotcha. Yeah, because that, that's a lot, man. I mean, like I said, for me, I would do them throughout, try and do them in the morning. But then somebody calls you, or then you get pushed away for this or that or the other thing. So that takes quite a commitment. So that's what happened with me when I tried to do it. They're like, oh, do it throughout the day. And I'm like, it's too much going on throughout the day. It was it became a burden for me to do it out throughout the day. So I get up at three in the morning, meditate, get my things, roll over, start pushing and then start my day. So let's talk a little bit more about your training regimen because I'm also going to so much to talk about. But the, 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 it's funny because when I was a kid, obviously I was a huge wrestling fan and Hulk Hogan always talked about 24-inch pythons and you literally have, and you know, wrestling, you never know. Maybe they were 22, maybe they were 23, maybe they were 24. I don't know. But as a kid, 24 was like the mythical <laughs> number for biceps because that's what Hulk Hogan had. You literally have 24-inch pythons. Uh, is this something where obviously there's a lot of the, there's a lot of genetics there, but that's the number, man. That's the number, you know, and the funny thing about it was I wasn't, you know, being in the military, you know, we working out like you, which you look great, by the way. Oh, thanks, man. You know, we never, I never counted numbers. I never thought about, you know, my next rep or my PRs or whatnot. And I really didn't even recognize it until Arnold Schwarzenegger came to me about it and we you know measured the whole things and i was like because i was i'm a huge hulk hogan thing as well and yeah. <laughs> they're coming for you brother you know <laughs> so it didn't hit me like oh shit i, I got 24 myself so <laughs> but it takes a dedication to go along with the end course genetics so you mentioned your relationship with arnold kind of talking about that because i've had some some great times with arnold through the years as well just a great guy, but super into other people that work out. He's always a little bit kind of impressed by this and wants to work together. And talk about how you, you became uh, in contact with Arnold and the relationship you guys have. Always a huge fan of uh, Arnold. I was a kid and my brother was in the Navy and he brought back a, a bodybuilding book. I was in Mississippi in the projects and I didn't have any workout equipment and all that good jazz. Uh, didn't have money, didn't have all that stuff, YMCA, nothing. Besides, you know, our little thing in the, the school. Right. Uh, he brought back a book, the um, encyclopedia. Mm. And I had never even seen a bodybuilding book before. 
right? He was in Navy. He was older. And when he was getting ready to leave and go back, I kind of hid his book from him. (laughs) (laughs) And so I started just looking at the pictures. I was always Arnold. uh, I didn't even know he had a book doing all that. Fast forward up to about, what, five five plus years ago, whatever. I uh, was at the White House and um, one of my pictures had went out, went viral. And Arnold um, made a comment on one of my posts on Twitter after I opened it up. And he was like, oh, chef, you know, blah, blah, blah. And my response stupidly was, after Arnold's, you know, I'm my old fanboy. I'm like, thanks. That's all I said. <laughs> I said, thanks. I appreciate that. And that was it. <laughs> I said, my mind, he was like, what the hell you mean? Just thanks. I appreciate that. Right. <laughs> and so he called me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Funny as hell. He called me up. We started talking and, and I'm a very political guy. So I've been in politics for a long time. I know this. I work around all these people and I got kind of a standfast attitude or whatnot. And he was like, oh, we got to get together. Got to see you. Got to see you. And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. Bye. And never thought anything else about it. And next thing I know, I'm with him at, you know, Hoboken. You'll be doing, giving out food. I'm going to best for us. We some long story kids. We're having, you know, lunch. We're doing all these things. He's having me at his things I'm doing. And I'm doing stuff that I love, mm-hmm. you know, helping the kids. I'm going out, feeding the homeless, giving out turkeys, you know, giving out toys, doing all these things that I actually have a passion and I love. And also the mentorship, you know, he's guided me in so many different directions and whatnot. And so I got to learn Arnold, the person behind the person, the knowledge of it, you know, the things that he taught me and how to move and how to communicate and operate, you know, was part of his success and his fame, which is the things that a lot of people don't get to see or hear. I mean, it's funny for people of our generation, like he was such a legendary figure and he still is. But I mean, there's just something like, like you said, when you, when you, tweeted him back thanks it's like what else do you say right i remember i i went to a fundraiser uh, a few years ago and he was there talking about his after school programs he does a lot of after school athletics programs he's really into that yeah i'd seen him a few times over the years at, at WWE, but he just went off doing his speech he's like look at this guy chris jericho here with his biceps and he's got a nice suit on look at him Look at this guy. And the guy who was, who was putting on the function forbade cell phones. And I was like, we're in a world where everybody films everything. And nobody filmed Arnold Schwarzenegger talking about how great I looked in my suit. <laughs> that sucked. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> You've done so many things, and there's, there's so much to discuss. Um, you mentioned your military background. You mentioned your, your your chef background. But let's talk a little bit about the military. How long were you in the military for? Because you're a very proud veteran. And you mentioned the t- 2020, 2,222 push-ups because of the veterans. So talk about, about your time in the in the military and, and how it affects you to this day. Uh, over 20 years in the military. And I, you know, I, was in, I was fortunate to do a lot of stuff. My family is military. My sister, retired Air Force colonel. My brother was a retired uh, officer in the Navy. One of my other brothers, he was a merchant marine. And that wasn't my military incoming, meaning that I didn't want to do it because my family was in it because I use the word that wasn't relevant that time. I grew up in the projects in Mississippi, so I was just trying to get out. Been in the military, Iraq, Afghanistan. I was, if you know, I was there with 9-11 when a plane hit the Pentagon. Yeah, we talked about that. And uh, it, it was that selfless service. You know, that's why I do what I do right now when I say use the word advocate. 
I don't forget where I came from. After I took the uniform off and I was able, it was like kind of like an ego getting his wings where he could fly because mm-hmm. I could do what I could do, but only for a certain amount because I'm strained by regulations, my clearances about politics, so many different things that everybody else could talk about. But they have to talk about them in a certain way with lawyers and this. Me, I can say whatever I want to say right now. But I know also that I have to represent the military. And what I do is I talk for everyone. Before, other people would talk for me and about me at a very small level. But now I can talk about everyone and for everyone on a huge magnitude, which is the most important part about me, especially with kids, you know, uh, sexual assault in the military, about PTSD, about suicide awareness, about financial insecurities, about food insecurities, about it's so many different things that we as I say soldiers or military members want to express, but sometimes it gets shadowed mm-hmm. by business, if you know what I mean with that part of it. But when you get that part of it where you can be that platform and give it to speak out, you know, I do that freely and heartily just because of us. I never got where I came from. I never will get where I came from. And I don't get to a place where I work with so many people once they got that be very transparent. Once they got that job title, mm-hmm. I'm good now. I don't have to talk about this anymore. You should do what you're doing all the time, always. One of the greatest things people say about me is that, Chef, you haven't changed. You've always been the same since I met you. Whether it be 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I didn't veer off. The only thing now is I get to do it on a bigger magnitude to a lot more people in front of a lot more important people who actually listen to me now. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Eh, amigas, see, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW like Takeshita, so having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key, and learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words, sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Did you start? out as a chef in the military? Did you cook before that? And what exactly is a, is, a, is an army chef? Oof, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say this is what every army chef looked like, but that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. I didn't start out as a military. I actually started out in the reserves for a very short stint with a different OS. And then when I came in, I should say that my cooking background came from just a passionate love with my mother growing up in Mississippi. 
Uh, my dad was a brawny guy who worked my butt off. So he was like a walk. And he believed that, that men go to work and girls go to school. And uh, when I say he worked my butt off, I mean, he worked my butt off. Mm. And my mother taught me how to love. When I was young, because it was nine of us, my younger sister and I were, the next one up was like 13 years older. So we were kids and we were teenagers already. And I used to go and sneak and cook with my mom because I love the way it made me feel. My dad didn't know it, oh. but my dad also used to take me to other farms to pick food for other people, even ourselves. But they would have machines and he would make me and my sisters and brothers pick them by hand. And I used to be able to, I'm like, I'm just a kid. Why am I doing this? Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, it was the best thing that he could possibly do to us because he was one of those guys. He had to drop out of school uh, in elementary to help his parents. And he just worked construction for literally 50 years, you know, just hard. He put me in construction as a kid, you know, helping him. That's where I gained my strength from. That's why I gained all of my endurance and all the things I do, my work ethics and habits, which I still keep to this very day. In the military, when I went in, I just took on a role. I, I love the cooking part of it. Hmm. So I actually transferred over to being a, a, a cook, military cook, which I, was very different. I'm not going to lie. I hated it. It wasn't the same part of that hospitality in Mississippi. It was mass feeding. It was this and that. And I'm like, okay, but I love this. But the entity of the world in the military in that particular thing, because the cooks worked their butt off. They didn't have any holidays. They were underappreciated. They were just all these different things. Which, you know, I hated the word when people called me a cook. It would just upset me. They're like, oh, you're just. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay. And even people ask, why was I even there? They're like, why? You got all these opportunities. I had an art scholarship, a track scholarship, football scholarship, and chose, you know, got rid of all those just to do this. And so I kind of took that on and didn't know it's going to be what my future led. But all I knew was that I wanted that feeling that I felt with my mother. And I wanted other people to feel that also. I didn't know how, when, or where. Uh, but, you know, it was in my mind that someday, some way, somehow, it would happen. I didn't know what. I'm not going to lie to you. Mm-hmm. I have faith in it. How does it work when you're when you're cooking in the military? Because you think of movies is, of course, what we know the most. Yeah. And it's, you know, the, the line and there's like a, a spoonful of, you know, mush or whatever the heck it is. Like, how are you cooking there? Where, you, where Are they providing with all the ingredients? And do you have any say in the menu and kind of that sort of thing? You know what? Kind of, sort of. <laughs> Back then, it was just that way. It was field feeding. It was bam, 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 one starch, one vegetable, one meat or two starch. Right. And you kind of keep going. Uh, and you had to go for this uh, TM412, whatever it was, a manual which is the recipe cards, which are very bland and boring because they're from like 100 years ago. And you couldn't deviate because of the bottom line. So it was all these different things you had to know. And I used to be a wild child, which I used to spruce it up a little bit. Mm. But one day, one of the guys who was a command sergeant major saw me as a private, and they had this culinary show they did every year, once a year. And he saw me out, and I don't know what it was. I caught his attention, and he said that he wanted me on a team. And I didn't know what the hell a team was. So he wanted me to be culinary. The the guys uh, in charge said, why? Because you have the trial for it. He was like, I don't know. I just see something in him. I went there. That's when I learned what culinary was. And it opened up my eyes to a whole new world, you know, pastries and lauder and, you know, sugars and chocolates. And it was just a sensory overload because I love cooking with my mother. Then when I got to do that, it kind of opened up a new pathway for me. 
in a new mindset. It was just like a, the next level, like in a video game. Uh, you've acceded to this level and now you see things more clearly. And for the next, let's say next 10 years, I literally worked on learning everything I could possibly learn. There wasn't any Google, there wasn't any searches or how to learn how to cook, saved all my money, looked at little books, tried, failed a million times over to, to succeed once. But that one time I succeeded was all I needed because it just opened up another level for me each time. And, but and then the military part came in where I got to go and cook for people on a different scale and it slowly started opening up different chains. And then also the military started changing because now we got into fitness. Mm. Health and fitness is big right now. It was bigger, you know, a few years ago, but you had to think about the dietary restriction, diabetes, heart disease, because of the food that we were eating, so much sodium, so much this, we had our MREs, we did all these other different things. So the military had to change demographically because now instead of feeding our soldiers, we were hurting our soldiers. Mm-hmm. So um, I was um, involved in that process, which I actually kind of, I still am right now. Let's talk a little MREs because I was um, in Iraq. I went to Iraq three times. And one of the times we actually got stuck behind the wire in an area that still had the insurgents and it was still kind of a very serious place to be. And we were there for about eight hours and MREs was what we were eating. And I'll tell you what, man, I mean, as you know, these tasted like cardboard flavored toothpaste. Like it was really bad, man. And I'm not trying to be demeaning, but I was like, oh my gosh, talk about MRAs. And, and I, this was back in 2008. So hopefully they've improved since then. What what exactly are they? What does MRE stand for? And how did you, how were you able to improve them? MREs are meals ready to eat, right? And it was funny that you said that because they still... They've changed a little bit. Uh, I actually just did MasterChef with Gordon Ramsay, and he did a special episode. Uh, it was like a month or a half ago or so with MRE. So we turned it gourmet. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> turn MRE gourmet, and we actually did. But when I was young and in the Pentagon, I they used to have to do betas over in the Pentagon with all the generals for the MREs. Meaning that the beta means that they'll bring new MREs on, we'll put them all on the tables and sample them and taste them. Now, mind you, they still taste like crap. I'm mm-hmm. not going to lie to you. Mm-hmm. Now they have a lot of different ones. I was just at Fort Irwin uh, with Michael J. White and some other guys, Dante Wilder, all those guys, you know, shooting weapons. And they brought in a bunch of MREs. So I opened up all the MREs on the, on the thing and started tasting them. And they taste a little bit better, probably about 10% better than what you remember. (laughs) (laughs) But the purpose of the MREs is for longevity. Yeah. I mean, you can keep in the basement in your house for 100 years and they'll still (laughs) still be okay. Since the time was the MREs used to have a high profile of calories, like over 4,500 calories per package. Now they dumbed it down. I think it's to like 2,000 and something or even less because of dietary restriction and so forth and so on. Yeah, like you said, I think it's it's the the uh, point of them is to be able to keep them for a long time and they won't expire or won't won't go off or anything like that. But I remember just thinking like, wow, this is hardcore, man. You know, I'm in the army now with these. Hey, you're in the army now. <laughs> you mentioned the Pentagon a few times. How did you end up uh, starting to cook there um, once you left the, the military? Someone called me up while I was at um, Fort Campbell and asked me if I wanted to come to the Pentagon, and I was still in the military. You know, I was young and I was like, you know, first thing I was, I mean, what do you need me to do? You need me to come and take care of somebody, you know, joking mm-hmm. around. And through my travels, 
any knowledge I got from anyone, I used to help people out and tell them, you know, what to do if I knew anything. A lot of people in the culinary world, I'm not going to use the word insecure, but they're the keeper of the key. If I tell you everything, you may become better than me. I wasn't that person. I didn't care if you became better than me. The only thing I asked if you gave it back. So one day someone called me up and said, hey, we want you to come over to the Pentagon for the Joint Chief of the Staff. You know, I think it was the time it was General Shelton, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Henry Shelton. I was like, OK. I went over. My command hated it. Uh, my my commander used to be like, once a year I should do this this competition. He's like, OK, enough of that cook shit. Back to work. Mm-hmm. You know how we do. Roger, got it, sir. No problem. No problem. Because uh, I was a stellar soldier. I mean, I loved the field. I loved doing what I did and and leading and following at the same time. But I went there. It was four of us trying out for the job. Mm-hmm. I was there for four days. The other three people were there for 30 days. And I was like, there's no damn way I'm going to get this job. Why, why are you wasting my time? They have 30 days here. I have four days. Mm-hmm. I did like I did in true nature, like my dad always taught me. I just went there and worked. I worked, worked, worked. Literally, I didn't care about anything, didn't look at anything, didn't first time been any, and every time I go into a first place, I never even think about it. Just work, you know, because my dad told me two things, be the hardest worker in the room and someone wants you to always fail. Hmm. Long story short was did that, left, and about three weeks later, I got a call back and said, hey, we want you to come here. And I was like, okay. And I remember this because my commander was like, you going where? You doing what? He got so mad that he didn't want to go. The general, who's current at the time, he said, he's going. He's going and you're going to let him go. And he was so mad that he gave me a reprimand, him and the uh, first sergeant. For what? <laughs> exactly, right? I went into the office my very last day. He gave me this reprimand and he thought I was a dumb private. Mm-hmm. He said, um, you know, especially Rush, give me this reprimand and so forth. And I was like, um, I said, Roger, sir, I said, do you want me to tear it up now or wait till I walk out the door? I mean, a sudden run, message rush, blah, blah, blah. Like, Roger, <laughs> I walked out and ripped it up because it doesn't go anywhere. Right. He did that himself because he said to me, he said, yeah, you might make rank over there to pin a gun and blah, 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 and so forth. <laughs> but the long story short was, guess what I saw years later where I saw him? Where? At the Pentagon. <laughs> <laughs> and always has, they always want to go there. So it was it was it was just kind of funny and ironic on that part of it that that's where I needed to go. But it was just the total opposite of where I wanted to go. He must have really liked your cooking if he was going to give you a reprimand because you were leaving. Well, you know, it was my it was my field training. I, I was a, I was a beast in the field and very um, dedicated in my craft on what I did. So you go to the Pentagon now. Is this still kind of the military feel when you're working that high up in the government, or is it more? How, how does that work when you're in, in that? Oh my area? god, it was. It was. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm be very transparent. It was terrible for me. Really, it was terrible for me because, mind you, I came out of combat arms. Even though at that time my mindset was on that, I never worked with females. I never did anything. I was with guys all the time. We had bad mouths. We had this, that, and everything go through. And I remember. I came in because, honestly, I was the least qualified, but I was the hardest worker. And the long story short about that, the reason why they chose me was it wasn't an Army person. The Army person in charge, who was my hero, he said no to me. Hmm. It was joint forces. The Navy personnel who was in charge, the colonels or whoever, whatever you call them, uh, in Master Chief, they said that. The Army said he doesn't belong here. And they said, did you see this guy work his ass off? 
he's coming here. And I got there and it was a total world. We had women, we had females, we had males, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, Coast Guard, Joint Forces. And that's when I had to transform to all services because all services are not the same. You know that. Right. All services will act the same, walk the same, talk the same. They're not the same. And then also all of the senior leaders that I thought weren't the same. I remember my very first week, I had to come in early. <laughs> I had to make some coffee and there was no coffee around. So I did a Buddy F coffee for the general. <laughs> What's that? I'm not going to use the bad word for it. <laughs> Bootleg coffee. So you feel <laughs> coffee. Field coffee. So I'm like, I ain't got coffee. I got to make it. So I made it and ran it through a, a, a terry cloth and all that. Gave it to the general. <laughs> the master chief came in and he says to me, you the general, you came call. I said, yeah. I said, uh, we didn't have any coffee. I had to make it. You know, he was like, they take Starbucks here. <laughs> I said, what? I said, Starbucks. And he was like, yeah, they just, I'm like, the general was complaining because I, it, was a, it was a mind L for me. I didn't know this. I'm like, wow, okay. So they're like, it's different. So you're talking about 20 or 30 to one, 30 officers to one enlisted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So it was a different world. But luckily, I got to the point to where I knew what I had to do. I had to change the way I walk, the way I talk, the way I articulate, the way I behave, because every action is an equal and opposite reaction. And so that's how I evolved from everything that I did. So let's talk about when you mentioned earlier about being in the Pentagon when on 9-11. Talk about what you experienced on that day. That was a day that, after the fact, found out I had PTSD. Mm-hmm. That was the beginning of one part of it, you know. Right. I've done a lot of different things before. I was also part of the recovery team. You know, we had something called a POAC, which is a gym. I trained with my DOD guys, um, which was the DOD security, uh, police officers, the squad team. And they were all older than I was. I lost some that was in the gym. Actually, they got it mixed up that I was in the gym. I wasn't in the gym. Hmm. I was in the part of it that the, the radius of it. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That was the day the world changed, and um, and it still still changed. Mm-hmm. It was also a hard day because I'll be very honest with you, I I couldn't uh, everybody like everybody else couldn't comprehend what was happening. You know, couldn't comprehend what was happening, and even with uh, Donald Rumsfeld was um, Secretary of Defense at that point in time, and I remember him saying, "Everybody's coming to work the next day. We're not going to let the the enemies or terrorists know that they won." And I remember thinking, I'm like, what do you mean one? I said, people have lost their lives. People, families. Right. I was, I was, you know, I, I get it. I understand it. But at the same time, there's also has to be a grieving part of it. And also, I remember when going through when I was with my guys from the, the DOD um, officers saying that they brought in, quote, therapists, people to talk to. They didn't say therapists. We bring in people to talk to you. Mm-hmm. because of what happened, because it was very traumatizing. You know, people lost their lives, whatever. And a lot of my guys that I was with were like, you know, Chef, we, we're going to go and talk to some people. You might want to do the same thing. And I remember going to my command, my one person, and I said, hey, I'm talking to the guys, and I'm like, um, I think I might want to go and talk to someone. And he looked at me, and he said, do you like your job? And I looked back, and I said, Roger. And I walked away. Hmm. It's different levels to this game, you know, and unfortunately, back then, 
PTSD and all those things had a stigma that was associated with it. It's not like shell shock. It wasn't as associated like there wasn't accepted as much. It wasn't not even as much. It was just a big stigma that went over everyone when it came to us in the military and something bad that may happen with it or go along with it. That was the hard part for me. And from that, I just kind of dived into cooking to combat those triggers that I was having. So I used my cooking as a coping tool. Same thing I did at USO with other military members that was transitioning or in the, in the system, using cooking to cope, just like we use working out or like we use art or type of thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, mental health issues is is such a thing, you know, in this day and age in 2024. But you're talking 10, 15 years ago, even that short of a time, it wasn't as accepted to like, I can remember the same thing it's like off topic. But when I was in high school, one of the guys that we went to school with ended up murdering a couple of people and there was no nobody to talk to. And there was no you know, psychiatrist coming to school. It was just like we just went to school the next day. Like, think about how traumatizing that is. You know, for, for teenagers. So for you to go through that and be told, you know, you don't need to be talking to anybody, it's kind of uh, that would never happen nowadays, shall we say. I'm a I'm a faith based person. You know, I tell people, yeah, whoever they are, however, what your domination is, I, you know, I don't care. It's whatever you believe in, how you want to be and what you want to be. Right. And I'll be very honest. With you, I was chosen uh, for the position I'm in. Mm. My younger um, soldier committed suicide. And I actually went to the leadership as I knew what had happened to him, that it was bad. And then the military was sending him right back to where it happened. And I went to this general that I literally, I'm going to use the word, not hated, but I just didn't like. And he knew it. Right. He looked at me as, I don't know. He, I don't know why people look at me and, and other men and they feel a certain way. You know, if I see a big guy or someone that's working for him or whatever, I'm not going to come at them off or not. Uh, long story short was I went to the general and I literally begged him for him to stay. And the general looked at me knowing this, knowing that he didn't like me, knowing that I didn't like him. He told me to go, go get the guy. I went and got my sergeant, brought him to him, waited outside his office. He came back out smiling and I looked at him and I'm like, oh, OK, you're going to stay. And he said, no, I'm, I'm not staying. And I said, why are you smiling? He said, he said, and he opened up his hand and he said, because he gave me this cool coin and it was a challenge coin, you know, which I have so many. And I just left it out of his hand. And I'm like, I got so upset. I just got him on the food network, uh, next level bake bakers, whatever it was. And he was like, it's okay. So it's okay. It's okay. And in my head, I'm like, it's not okay. I know it's not okay. He did that. He went to Fort Bragg. A month later, I got a call that he had committed suicide. Hmm. Fast forward. I, when I was in um, the White House and I was in and uh, my sister called me to go to Germany, went to Prague, I went to France, left there, came back here. They come to the White House to go to work. I went to work. Long story short was uh, that's when a picture went viral the same, same day. TMZ called me. I talked to Howie, all the guys, and they tell me that Anthony Bourdain had committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And I was there in France where he was when it happened. Last year, my best friend committed suicide here in LA. I was in Korea. Six months ago, my 11-year-old daughter, her five and six-year-old brother died by suicide. When I say died by suicide, also a command sergeant major, her stepfather and their father, who unfortunately 
took their lives and then its own. Oh my gosh. And then I was, I was done. I was like, I, I just want to, I want to give up everything. But he did that in front of their mother. Hmm. I was on my way to New York to see the Ramsey show and crying my butt off, getting there trying to figure out in my head what just happened. Cause it's three o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I, I got on the phone with her and I started grilling her. I was like, what happened? How to happen? You know how our minds think we need a resolution for it. Right. You know, were you guys fighting? Were you this? No, they co-parried together for over a year. They were friends. He was in the military. Everybody loved him. He was a nice guy. There was no signs. I went to the funeral and everybody's there. And I'm just like, I give up. I give up. I lost too much. And then remembering not only my daughter, but her two brothers, I um, I did a one thing I don't do. I went to social media. I went to social media. I'm a strategist. I'm also a faith-based Everybody knew me. I had a small audience on social media because I never did anything on social media. So I decided to go on all my social media, look at it. And I said to myself, I want more kids in my circle. I want more kids. And I went from, let's say, 400,000 to like uh, 11 million in like two months. YouTube was like 20,000 to 4.5 plus million. Mm. It just went crazy. And the craziest thing about that was that 60 plus percent was between the ages of 11 and 27. And now everywhere I go, I get little kids from six-year-olds, teenagers coming over in my inbox and seeing them, the parents coming. And that wasn't me doing that. That wasn't me that pushed that on that part of it. Because I know that, you know how to say, he doesn't give you things that you cannot handle. Right. It was a part that I know what I had to do because I've never wavered from it. I always did what I did and I always talk diligently. I don't do it for the attention. And then all of a sudden I get the attention and then I turn into a marketing scheme or a management thing or merchandise or this or that or whatever. I do what I do from the heart, but I know the reason why I use this as my foundation because it is not my foundation, it's my lifestyle. And so that's what I've done all the way through and it's hard. And now me talking to you about this, every time is hard. But it's necessary. How, how are you able to attract so many kids so fast? <laughs> I talk like kids. <laughs> I walk like kids. <laughs> I do. I tell people, I'm a speaker also. I just left Ernest and Young speaking for them, for the clothes off. I tell people, I'm not going to change. I always wear my chef jacket. I always do what I do. Especially, and you'll understand this, me being older and the kids being in those demographics, they don't listen to parents. Mm-hmm. The way I do it is that I do things that are funny, out of character. If they see big guys like us looking, but intimidating, and then we make them laugh or joke, it just breaks them down. And then you do things that they can relate to. Right. And that's what's the most important part. So once you get them to be relatable to you and you to them, and then you can throw in those nuggets. You can put in those those subliminals where, hey, bullying, mental health, all those things where they can understand it. I would never use a word, a harsh word like suicide. I will never say things. I will make them and go down to their levels, but at the same time, letting them know that they're worth it. And even more so is to support each other because it's hard for you to get kids, especially with the bullying in social media, because everybody wants to be a star. And unfortunately now they want to do stupid shit to be the star instead of doing positive stuff because stuff gets more views than positive stuff. All these other amazing things that you've done. We're talking about the Pentagon and the White House. You've actually been the chef, a personal chef, for four presidents. Clinton, 
Bush, Barack, and Trump. How does one become a, a chef for the president of the United States? And not just one, but four of them. First thing is uh, you, uh, you have to have a CSSEI. You have to have a clearance. I tell people and all the time is you can be the best chef in the world. If you don't have that clearance, you're not going anywhere. So how do you get that clearance? It's, it's a very expensive and it goes back like 15 years of your life. Mm. And it scrutinizes everything about your life, parking tickets, bankruptcy, all those different things, anything that will spark a red flag, which means that you will do something harmful, selling information, documentation, uh, corruption into the government, especially if you're doing anything, you know? And that's mm. one of the things that people look when they don't get a job is like, hey, you didn't pass your background check. Even on the mental health part of it, it's like, right. oh, can do X, Y, and Z. And what you understand now why certain things are a certain way I get business. I understand that part of it. But at the same time, the caveat for that. But I told you a, a story earlier about the military guy who didn't want me, army guy who didn't want me to be at the Pentagon. Right. <laughs> he was the one. I, I saved his career. He was an amazing pastry chef, amazing chef, cooked for the queen. I mean, since then, I have also. But <laughs> <laughs> just saying, <laughs> just saying, right? <laughs> but at that time, think about that, right? Oh my God, it was years ago, right? And I admired him to death. I he did this thing called a puzzle cake, which I love pastries, which I still do. I don't eat pastries, but I I'm a, a crazy pastry chef. He did this puzzle cake called a puzzle tart or whatever, and it took like two days to make. And he had done one medals for it. He's done it for everybody. And for some reason, when he did this last cake, we had some royalty over in the Pentagon. I used this as an example. I said, food can start wars and end wars. You know, just think about saying if you're at a restaurant and the food's terrible, you get upset, you get angry. Think about the food, great, or, the, or even more so the hospitality of it, the customer service. Yeah. You know, you like it makes you comfortable and whatnot. Same way in the White House, Pentagon, anywhere else in the world. He did his cake. He took it out like 45 minutes, so almost an hour earlier because it was in the freezer. And he cut the cake. And for the first time ever in his entire life, the cake fell apart. Mm. Literally. Mm. And you know what he did? He froze because it's never happened before. I don't know what happened or how it happened, but it happened. The, the guy in charge looked at me. I'm a young kid. And he looked at me. He's cussing. This is inside the Pentagon. <laughs> and the guy's just like shocked. He looks at me. He said, Armor Hammer, can you fix this? <laughs> and without hesitation, I said, Roger, Master Chief. And I didn't know how I was going to fix it, but he gave me a challenge. I ran down to the mezzanine. They had a bakery. I begged for some sheet cakes that were frozen. Did us because it takes two days to make these cakes and we made them from scratch. And you know, you have to come in a 90 degree angle and stuff them inside each other with all that. I ran back up. I made, you know, praline cream, ganache cream, ganache, chocolate, you know, vanilla. I just did all these things at one time. The guy stood around. They're asking me if I need any help. I'm like, no, no, I got it. I got it. Because he never showed me, but I looked at him do it. So every time he made this cake, I would look over his shoulder doing it because he wouldn't teach me directly. He, he would just teach everybody else. Long story short, cut the cake, came out perfect. He came up to me afterwards. He said, great job, chef. First time he called me a chef. And he said, I want to take you somewhere next week. Took me over and he said, I'll get you the door, but you know, you got to do the rest. It was a White House. Went inside, didn't look left or right. Because I remember the Navy guys had already told me that he was the one that didn't want me to come. So right. I knew it. But he didn't know I knew. Went there, 
did it, came out. A week later, they let him go. And I said to him, do you want me to leave? I'm a loyal person. I've always been loyal, right? I don't care about, you know, accolades and all that. He said, no, no, you stay here. After that, he took me to my first Olympics, uh, Luxembourg, uh, Expagas. Olympics held every three years. I went there, won two gold medals uh, and two silver medals. While I was there, he told me what he did, that he didn't want me to be there. And I told him I knew. He said, you knew all this? I said, yeah, I knew already, Chef. He said, why did you not, I guess, act up or rebuttal or whatever? I said, that's not my job. My job is to make you look good. Mm -hmm. I don't care about fame and glory. I just care about us being a team. Mm -hmm. And then... Probably about six months later, he brought in one of his buddies who actually did the exact same thing to him and ended his reign there. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this is a doggy dog world is chef shit. (laughs) 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 They don't play around. (laughs) They don't play around here. You know, this chef world is a different world. They're like, like aggressive, you know? So that's why my older ego is the aggressive chef. And that's what the kids love. I do the aggressive shelf, and you know, in my military uniform, and then I do my white uniform where I'm like the peaceful shelf, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like oh shit, chef is aggressive today. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> so how how do you cook for 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 the four different presidents? I mean, is is it obviously they probably all like different things? Uh, they do they have different eating patterns? Are you on call twenty four hours a day, or do you have shifts? How does that work? Uh, well, it's one more thing I forgot to tell you. One of the requirements is you have to be black. I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke. (laughs) So no one, people ask all the time, you stay there? No, no. I would go crazy staring there. Why would I stay there? The president don't even stay there. (laughs) But uh, believe it or not, it's a very small staff. We have like big events for directly for, you know, uh, like right now, we just had the Christmas party. This has happened. So we will hire everyone from Eisenhower, which is on the White House, which is the Navy part of the military that sanctioned that. Just like you have Marine One, it's Marines, Air Force One, it's Air Force, yada, yada, yada. So same thing we have at the White House, but it's Navy staff that's there. Mm-hmm. Which they have uh, MTO for maybe like two other people. I think one is a Marine, which is considered part of the Navy. And they used to have one that was for the Army, but they never opened it up because they liked the Army. They liked to keep the Navy with the Navy right. and not put us together. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was on the civilian side of that part. I just did my job. I was the type of person is that, uh, like I said, I just did my job. You have to be a team person. Uh, no egos, no arrogance. Yeah, you have to be able to lead, but also at the same time follow. But at the same time, I also had a military background, which gave me kind of like advantage not an advantage not only on paper but an advantage in real life uh on that part because i use the word i'm non-emotional mm. i don't get emotional a lot of people in this world you will know this as they get emotional they take offense to everything you know they can't have correction you can't talk to them without them internalizing and, and having their own feelings involved you can cuss me out call me this call me that and whatever and we can go drink in the next in, in a couple of hours. I don't, I don't care. A lot of people can't be able to do that. And to be the best, you have to be on the best level. Is there certain foods that each president liked that you would make for them? Like uh, their favorites? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the one thing I'll tell you about each one is that I, I tell people put this in perspective is they go out so many different places and everybody's trying to impress them. Right. Everybody's trying to impress them. And usually when they try to impress them, it involves butter. Or carbohydrates. Wow. You know, because you're making, you know, creamy foods or uh, fancy foods with creams or whatever it may be. And even even so, you kind of dumb it down because 
The presidents are older, right? So you got to think about their body of profiles, whatnot. So a lot of times they just like simple stuff, like homey stuff. Like I mentioned earlier about things that's going to make them comfortable. Hmm. Another caveat is that the president has to pay for their own food. Really? Yeah. They pay for their own food. Hmm. And expensive. <laughs> very, very expensive. Even if I'm rich, I wouldn't even pay for it. <laughs> but they, all, they, ha- they also have their own living quarters, uh, which they keep their refrigerator, their own whole, whole house themselves. A lot of them, uh, if necessary, they'll make their food. The, the kitchen is ran by Flotus. She's the person in charge. She's the one that does everything. Uh, as far as anything else, as far as the cooking wise, a uh, very simple uh, some of the things always is going to be things towards their hometown, you know, mm-hmm. like, for instance, uh, Chicago uh, with, with Obama or or uh, Bush with, you know, uh, Texas. with Texas. Yeah, Texas part of it. Trump, uh, he just liked American food. <laughs> 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 he liked, he liked American, American food. So he's on a run all the time. But basically, that's kind of like the gist of it. <laughs> It's interesting that you say, you know, the president has to pay for his own food. And of course he would, but I never even thought about that. I thought it's just free food. You're the president. You don't have to pay for anything. If it's not a government sanction like uh, steak dinners or something like that, they have to pay for their own food. Mm-hmm. That's how it happens. And you mentioned this too that I wanted to touch on as we start to wind down here. Uh, a few years ago, there's a picture of, of chefs preparing food on the White House lawn. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it goes viral with you because of your arms and there's there's a huge kind of like who is this guy what happened and how did that kind of blow up the way that it did i was 300 and was it seven pounds 10 pounds when that picture was taken (laughs) right (laughs) that's when i just came back from germany uh with my sister the one right i actually was friends uh, right when Anthony Bernay happened. So I'm allergic to media. I've been doing this for a long time. And every time <laughs> I would come over, I see the media people coming out like, oh, got to go, got to go. Because they, they always try to twist up things and say things and get stuff or whatever, whatever. And if you've ever been to the White House, it's literally the, the speaking where the president goes is right adjacent around from the kitchen. But it was for the um, um, Iftar, where the Ramadan, where they eat at sunset mm. and they had skipped it the year prior. So it was already tension. Right. So this time they had them back and it was like, oh, okay. So it was outside cooking, pet pan, some other stuff. All the media's out there waiting around for us. They kept coming over. Two of the guys I had was with me. They'll come over. I'll walk away. They'll come back over. I'll walk away. <laughs> and so finally they were like, oh, can we tell them what, you know, what you're cooking? And they will answer. And I was very nonchalant with them. The end of the story was uh, Trump was coming out to the media. They were going inside. As they were going inside, two of the reporters turned around and caught me and took a picture of me. <laughs> and they had been trying to take a picture of me forever, but I wouldn't <laughs> let them. So that's why I'm not looking at them. But the other two guys saw them. So that's why they're looking at them. They took the picture, walked back in. 15 minutes later, they come out. Kate Bennett walks up to me yeah. and she says, I'm going to make you famous. And I look at her and I laugh. And I said, I'm already famous. And she said, no, no, seriously, look at your Twitter. I'm like, I don't have Twitter. She's like, look, do you have, I said, I don't have Instagram. I don't have, I don't have anything, nothing. And then one of the guys started laughing and he was like, oh, I got Twitter. And they showed me. I didn't know what that meant. All I saw was numbers, numbers, numbers. I'm like, okay. And they're reading stuff. And I'm like, stop reading that. What is, what is it? I, don't know what it is. I was on social media. 
And then I, then a little time passed, went into the White House, and that's when it got terrible. <sighs> you know, I've always been like, I'm an extreme introvert until I have to be an extrovert. Mm. So I just do my job, especially there. You just want to be a ghost. Everybody was talking about it. The whole entire White House. The president, the people in the room, it, it was bad. It was bad. It was like one of my worst nights ever. And I just wanted to go. I just wanted to get away from that. When that night was finally over, I remember it's like, oh, my God, it's finally over with. I'm like thinking it's going to just go away. And, and I did like every grown man would do when a situation like this. I went home and I called my mama. <laughs> Even though she was on social media, I just, I'm a mama's boy. I wanted to talk to my mom and say, hey, this is happening. And she's like, well, baby, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's something to this. Maybe it's divine intervention. Maybe it's God's plan. I'm like, I don't want it to be God. I just want to, I want to go. And so true story is I disappeared. I waited till everything went, went away. And you know how people have those one hit wonders. Uh, it went away. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then I thought about maybe it is divine intervention. Maybe it is something more. And so I sat down and did the same thing I did when I did with the kids. And I said, who do I want to be? What do I want to be known for? How can I play on this part of it? Everybody's thinking I'm just, and you, you're related to this, you know, this big dumb jock or, you know, this person he has nothing to say. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what can I do and how can I say it? What do I want to be remembered as? Who do I want to remember of? I figured out and I started from scratch and I had to start over and I built it up and I wanted to speak my truth because people, and you know this, when you become viral and stuff, people are going to reach out to you to do stuff. And everyone told me, chef, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. You're trying to go too many different directions. You can't talk about this and talk about that. They're like, stick to the cook shit, do this right here, do it. I'm like, no. I don't want to. If I reach one person, I'm good. If I reach a million, I'm good. Or if that one person I reach reached a million, I'm even better. Mm-hmm. From there, he just took my hand and and here I am. It's amazing. Amazing stuff. L- l- last few things, Andre, or Chef, which I was, was going to ask you, call me Chef, damn it. <laughs> it's very important for a chef to be called the chef. It's almost being called like the maestro or the general. Explain kind of the, the reason behind that, because you watch movies and he's called the chef and you're called the chef. It's a big, it's a big honor to be called that. You know, is uh, it, that's a great question, by the way, it's titles to it. It's just like, if you're a doctor, you want to be called doctor, a right. squire, a lawyer, whatever, so forth. If you're intern, so you're not an intern, you know, you're a cook, but you're not a cook, or, you know, cause you got sous chef, you got this type of chef, it's pastry chef. Everything has a chef to it. It's also a title of it. You work for it, you get it. And this is the name of my book, actually call me chef. Damn it. <laughs> I did that because I named it that and I read his shirt. That's because my guys that was in charge, no one wanted to call me chef, even if I got the title, because they didn't want me to have that recognition for it. Hmm. <laughs> the the one person that uh, was in charge, he would call other, all the other guys chef, and he wouldn't call me chef. And then one day, I'm busting my butt off. I worked the hardest. He called them. And he called me. He said something to me, but it wasn't chef. And I, I'll be honest with you. I snapped. I snapped, I grabbed him, I picked him up, and I said, call me Chef, damn it. <laughs> he looked down at me. <laughs> he was like, Chef. I put him down. Everybody looking like, what the hell just happened? And I, I don't know. It was just, I'm not a that person with titles. But, you know, I also know that now doing this, what I do, is when the people call me, oh, Andre, Chef Andre. I'm like, it's not Chef Andre. It's Chef Rush. And the reason why I say it, because a lot of people don't know branding. I mean, the rock is a rock until he was that Wayne Johnson. But also, if you hashtag me, if you do this, you're not going to find Chef Andre. You'll find millions of Chef Rush, 
but I do that because I've had to put people's mindset in it. Even with my friend, they're like, oh, I'm just going to call you. I'm like, okay, let me explain something to you. <laughs> you have to make money. You have to do this. If you don't, I'm just going to block you and keep going. I don't have time for it. Right. You know, because you're like a infection. Everybody else wants to do the same thing you want to do, you know, but at the same time, what the title is, I work for it. I appreciate it. And it's a sign of respect the same way I'll give everybody else a sign of respect where they want to. I'm like, hey, what do you want me to call you? What's your title? What do you want to go by? Mm-hmm. How do you want to go? Because it could be something bigger and better and deeper than I am. That's why I do the same thing with people. So last question for you. With all the presidents you've cooked for and the Pentagon and everything else, what would you consider your specialty? I'm going to be honest with you. I know it's going to sound crazy. Everything in my dance. If I make you a bologna sandwich, you're going to go crazy over it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, they said, even uh, Ramsey, uh, Gordon Ramsey was like, you know, what's your spirit? I was like, oh, I have to treat everything like it's my last my last meal. Mm-hmm. I want a bologna sandwich, chicken. I mean, I love like beef to beef Wellington or, you know, fish. I love everything. I, I just ate through all of Korea. You know, <laughs> with and I appreciate other cultures of it. And I want to learn it. And I kind of infuse it with a lot of different things that I do. So my specialty or my best dish is the one I haven't created yet because I always just try to thrive. I'm actually getting ready to come out with a cookbook now after the fact. But I just love food in general. So I'll make one thing like, oh, my God, it was perfect. And then I'll make something like, oh, my God, that was even more perfect. Then I'll make <laughs> something more. So I never narrowed it down, brother. I'm sorry. <laughs> you cook for yourself because obviously you're in such great shape. You have to really watch what you eat. I'm sure I'm sure what you're eating isn't as fun as what you're making for everybody else. <laughs> no, it's not. You know that. It, it's, yeah, I, I just came back from a, an event. And I had to go out and my body's like, what are you doing to me? And people try to impress. And I was just, just like, I was telling you, my body's like, hey, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you know, but stop doing that. We, you know, I know you know how to cook. It's like a selfish ass little kid. Like, uh-uh, nope, nope, dad. I don't want that. You cook for me. <laughs> so I, I keep it simple, but I also do a lot of herb-based, you know, nature-based things. I love my herbs right from the ground, my spices. You know, with the less sodium, I love roasting garlic, sweet, I love all that different stuff. Well, Chef Rush, it's great talking to you, man. You're a very interesting guy, and it's, it's been a pleasure. And th- thanks for all that you've done and all that you do. And I'm looking forward to seeing your next projects. Thanks, brother.